Welcome to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mountshute. And I'm Coach John Shute. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. John and I met in a religion class in Oxford, England. Actually, we were in a pub. Okay, that's a minor detail. My point is you've always thought of coaching as teaching. You like to think deeply about things. And you love sports. Heck, you're the one in your college's Athletic Hall of Fame. We're Team Shoot, and we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond sound bites and highlight reels. Our guest today is a baseball lifer, Clint Hurdle. Clint was drafted out of high school and debuted with the Kansas City Royals in 1977. He hopped around the league for the next decade, playing with the Reds, with the Mets, and with the Cardinals. In 1987, Clint immediately stepped into a managerial role in Class A ball and worked his way up to AA, then AAA, until he found himself back in the majors in 1997 as the hitting coach for the Colorado Rockies. By 2002, Clint was promoted to manager of the team and in 2007 led the Rockies to their first World Series. In 2010, my beloved Pittsburgh Pirates hired Coach Hurdle. The Pirates had 19 losing seasons in a row upon Clint's arrival, and by 2013, under Clint's leadership, the Bucks were in the playoffs. Hey, Coach Hurdle. Hey, this is John Shoup calling from up in Asheville. Can you hear me okay? Very fine, thank you. All right. Hey, I sure do appreciate your joining me here today. You're welcome. But I'm a huge baseball fan. I, I really am. And, of course, I told you I grew up in Pittsburgh, and so the 79 Pirates changed my life. You know, they really did. And so I've always followed baseball. And what I'm trying to figure out is... In baseball, for instance, to me, Tommy John's surgery is a procedure where a healthy tendon is extracted from an arm, occasionally a leg, to replace a torn ligament. And then that healthy ligament's threaded through holes and drilled in to the bone above and below the elbow for all intents and purposes, making a bionic arm. And what I'm trying to figure out is why... Tommy John surgery is really revered in Major League Baseball right now. 80 players in 2019 had had at least one form of Tommy John surgery, yet Andy Pettit in 2002, uh, you know, got in trouble for using HGH to recover from an elbow injury. And Roger Clemens has, and his trainer, Brian McNamee, have been down a road of using uh, performance enhancement drugs as well. In your mind, Clint, what kind of separates the two? Well, they're good questions. Everybody's perception is going to be different. Uh, you may have your own perception, John, and I'm not about to try and change your perception. I have mine. Um, the one thing about Tommy John's surgery that's always been interesting to me 
is I think when people hunt good, you find good. You hunt bad, you find bad. And you talk about the 80 people that have one type of Tommy John surgery uh, in baseball last year. How many came back successful? How many people do you never hear about pitching again that had Tommy John surgery? Nobody takes it to the other side to really dig, peel back all the layers. Tommy's not John surgery, it's a procedure, which can not just continue a player's opportunity to perform. And sometimes some of these guys have come back and thrown with more velocity for a short period of time because of the newness of the muscle that's put in a tendon. Sure. Surgeries performed, history scientifically. Um, there's there's tradition with the surgery. They named it after one of the, you know, a, a very good major league pitcher. You know, there's a bunch of pitchers that got hurt that had it that went from throwing hard to soft. If you look at Frank Canana, mm-hmm. Joel Alexander over the years, different different they went different cycles. This is the HGH thing. It's a very raw subject for me. I have a special needs child. Uh, Madison. 17. Madison's been taking HGH shots six days a week since she was two years old. Mm-hmm. Because she has no human growth. Her body doesn't produce them. So for the, 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 the men that chose that avenue to take a drug that's listed as a performance cancer drug in the player's uh, agreement, you know, yes, I think there's cases where HGH might be prescribed. But if you're a Major League Baseball player and it's listed as a PED, wouldn't you go to your lawyer, your attorney, your agent and ask him what his thoughts are or go to the union and check it out before you risk the injection or the time? These are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this, only God knows, that when those guys choose to make those decisions, it's the wonderful thing about God, he gives us freedom of choice. What we don't get is, is to choose the consequences of the choices we make. And I can tell you from my experience, God's bad at 100% with me. When I, when, I, when I get that bad feeling in my gut, I know I've crossed the line. Because I know that's what this series is about, when you cross the line. Yes. Your gut tells you when you've crossed the line. You know, some people say it's my conscience. I call it the Holy Spirit. Um, some people may think it's a combination of the two. You know what your motives are for taking HGH. You know what your motives are for taking for having Tommy John surgery. You know what your motives are for getting lazy surgery. Um, so I think those are barriers and boundaries and questions that each individual needs to ask itself. And then rather than take for granted that they're onto something special or significant or there's a loophole. Why wouldn't you run it through a legal process to make sure there's no legal ramifications that can work negatively towards you later? You started your major league career as a player in the mid-70s, played for a couple of teams, and then kind of restarted your major league career coming back as a hitting coach, if I'm right, with the Rockies in 97 before being promoted to manager and taking them to the World Series. And so right in the late 90s there, as you're the hitting coach for the Colorado Rockies, you know, I was the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears at that time. And I loved Sammy Sosa. I loved Mark McGuire. I'd go down to Wrigley Field every opportunity I could get when they were in town just to watch batting practice. 
And of course, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa hit 66 and 70 home runs in 1998, and both have been identified as using substance abuse. One of the problems I've wrestled with as a coach, and it happened in college maybe even more so than in the NFL, was that when I knew somebody was doing something unethical, specifically in college, that is, recruiting, I got stuck sometimes between a rock and a hard place of how do I report these people that they're going over the edge and how also do I stay within this business? And I wonder if you have ever wrestled with that dynamic, whether it be in the late 90s as a batting coach or whether it be recently in Major League Baseball with regards to the Astros' sign-stealing tactics that it seems some people had known about. How do you deal with that dynamic, if you can speak to that, of, I don't want to lose my spot in this business, but also I'm competing with these guys, and I'm not sure we're playing the same game. Does that make sense, Clint? Yeah, it makes perfect sense, and I guess it all just depends on who, who you feel personally you answer to. Mm-hmm. Um, for for me, I answer to God first. Answer to my employer second. In, in that respect, outside of the, the building that I work in, I answer to God first. I answer to my wife second, my family, <laughs> yeah. my kids. Um, in the nineties, yeah, I was a hitting coach. I watched guys get bigger and stronger. I also was a player in the late in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, when I watched players get bigger and stronger because it was the first time a weightlifting program had really been introduced into baseball. Sure. I mean, when I broke in, it was a jump rope, and you did some curls. You might do sit-ups and push-ups, and you ran, and you hit. There was no strength conditioning program, zero, other than one you came up with on your own. Or the used in off season, and you kept nobody put on muscle in the off season and tried to maintain it during the season. And then it started to happen. I saw some people that I knew personally get bigger and stronger. And you know, then the the Philly Steve Carlton came up with a, a weight training, a strength and conditioning program with his trainer that a bunch of pitchers gravitated to. So I didn't have all the nuts and bolts on it, but I did see guys get bigger and stronger. I didn't think anything of it because. I knew enough people in my life outside the game that you use a weight training program, right? You can get bigger and stronger. Um, strength conditioning programs will make you bigger and stronger. As a hitting coach, I really had no clue what was going on until the, the dog, I guess, the, what do you say, the cow gets out of the barn. Yeah. Just to, to go through and read the report, the Mitchell report, um, guys injecting. In the clubhouse, at one point in time, later on, uh, I did find a syringe that dropped out of a player's pocket in the minor league as a manager. Um, the club he found it, brought it to me, said, here, you do what you need to do with this. I just found it, so I, I reported it. But I didn't know for sure. Mm-hmm. As a hitting coach, I never knew one of the players I had or any other players were using steroids or uh, all the different opportunities they had. Um, 
And then there's a part of me that, you know, I'm such a, a loyalist to the game. Guys start hitting home runs. You figure, well, everything else is changing. Pitchers are growing harder. Different teams being played differently. Maybe it's just sure. a progression. Well, as we found out later, it wasn't a progression. As a manager, you know, we had probably in my entire time in Colorado, minor league hitting coordinator, first base, 15 years, close to 15 years, we may have five players that were suspended. Mm-hmm. None of a name that would probably grab anybody's attention. However, they were cost cheap. And in a conversation with a couple of them afterwards, it was just about, in their mind, survival. Sure. I need to get a little faster. I need to go a little stronger. I'm right on the edge. They might take my game away from Their game was their God. The game defined them. They had no definition of their why. Why am I on Earth? Why am I on this planet? What is my function? What's my role? Um, they had something that they... Came said they would love. They actually were addicted to the game at one time, and they didn't want to give it up. So, if push comes to shove, they were willing to, uh, you know, be unethical and make an unethical choice, and hope not. And hope to not get caught. You know, having been in professional sports I think sometimes it's easy for people on the outside to say why would you ever do that but when you're on the inside well the sport can be so seductive whether it's baseball whether it's football what you name the sport if you've been doing it your entire life and then you couple it with often a seven-figure salary you have more of an incentive to maintain this ability. And it's easy for people on the outside to say, gosh, I'd never done that. They're they're criminals. I don't like that. But boy, when you're in that situation, it can be a lot tougher, especially if you said, as you say, you don't have this moral compass of a guiding point of this is a line I won't cross. Oh, I'm in complete agreement. Seductive is a good word. Addictive is another word. And yeah. Unfortunately, I've heard it a couple different times in my life. I've been through two divorces. And one of the refrains I got from both attorneys, or from my ex-wife, was she needs to maintain a, a lifestyle she's grown accustomed to. Mm. And I don't mean that bad. I mean that that was a, a refrain that I heard twice. And I think players, coaches, whoever it is involved, within sport, and to be quite to quite frank, it happens just as much out of sport. Sure. I mean, look at the guys in the insider training. Look at the guys you bet. in Hollywood. Look at the, I mean, there's noise. There's and, seduction and, uh, all over. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> absolutely. And why? They've grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle, uh, whatever that is. And they usually... You know, it's part of an addictive trait. You need more and more as you go on because that, that rush, that adrenaline, what, what got you there the first time, it doesn't get you there the tenth time. Mm. And you're always chasing that that rush. 
And I've talked to guys that have had problems. I've listened to the NBA ref that got caught. I've listened to guys in, in the, the New York Stock Exchange that have been caught. They all talk about the rush, the adrenaline rush, yes. whether it's gambling, whether it's uh, infidelity, uh, whether it's cheating to hit more homers or throw harder or be better in the backfield or to be better as a cornerback or to be better as a punter, more legs, whatever it is. And it is a rush. You're right, it is. It's a rush. <laughs> and, you know, I, and unfortunately as well, I had that rush. I'm 21 years sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to come point in time in my life where I, I, I was I was powerless over alcohol. I had to make a decision on which way my life was going, what I was going to do about it. And I had 21 years of sobriety, but I got it by putting one day in front of each other, one day at a time in front of each other. And when it goes back to sport, I need to show up today to be a simple man in the complex world to play by the rules. And my thought, for me, my God's going to provide for me my play things by His will. Mm. And He's put me in that position. And it's a very vain person to think they've worked their way there. They've done it all by themselves to get to wherever they've gotten to. There's been help all over the place. You might not realize it. Your awareness might not pick up on it. But I can't jeopardize my integrity. I can't jeopardize my character. My reputation is what I come to town with. My character is what I leave town with. Mm. And that's, in my view, for quite some time now. And I shared it in Pittsburgh. As long as God wanted me in that seat, no man could move me out. When God didn't want me in that seat, no man could keep me in. Mm. I'm out. <laughs> Nine years. And I've been blessed with 16 years of managerial opportunity and never won a World Series. Now, my daddy didn't own either team. It wasn't because of who I knew there. But I believe it was based on the fact that I had a code of ethics that I kept in place. I was able to build relationships. I was trustworthy. I was steadfast. I was disciplined. I had core values to remain constant with the coaching staff players. But that became attractive to somebody and kept me in position. So I can understand. Push come to shove, a person that maybe doesn't have a, a commitment, a faith commitment, or a higher power, or something else to guide them to be their North Star, which comes to shove. I mean, in the dark, when do we do most of our, when do I do most of my uh, raw flash in the dark? Yeah. You know, the light exposed to dark. In the game of baseball, you know, there's a set of rules, and we know those rules. And I'm trying to figure out now specifically, like, it's it's gamesmanship if you're on second base and can see the catcher signals uh, uh, to the pitcher and you can communicate to the batter what pitch is coming. Does that gamesmanship, when does that step over a line is it still okay if the bullpen in the outfield is now signaling it? What what was the line of demarcation? And you've been in now the game since 1977 in the major league. So, you know, that's five decades now. 
when does it become, well, now that's over the line? And did it have to do with technology specifically? I, I believe with all my heart it had to do with technology specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can pick up every sport. And basketball, football, base soccer. And I don't mean to leave any sport out. Um, I mean the sport of poker. Sure. You're looking for um, these anticipatory clues tell, that help we call you. Them, we, call, we call them tells. Sure. You look for tells. You know, tell. Body language. Where he holds his glove. What is the quarterback? The lineman sets up in a different place. When you it's bet. Way. The running back sets up in a different place. When it's that way. These are things where your eyes, ears, your five senses, you use your five senses to get a competitive advantage. I believe when you go outside of your five senses, that's when you cross the line. Um, you can study video all you want up there. When you get the dugout, there's no time for video. There's no time for technology. Yes, we have iPads, but it's not to cheat. It's it's just to, to watch a pitcher pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's information that has been allowed. Um, has that been a mistake, so, in your opinion, to allow those iPads in the dugout? I'm not going to say it's a mistake. It's just weird for me. Yeah, <laughs> There's things involved in the game now that, that are gone that I used to love. Uh, but that's every generation in the world has complained about the next generation. Sure. <laughs> Come on, man. Get off my uh, lawn. Not, We're getting older. That's right. <laughs> I'm not here to do that. However, I do know this. Anytime you're involved in a process that removes the human heartbeat, you're looking for trouble, and you're going to find it. The, the, then the process becomes sterile. It's a vacuum. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges for this generation is isolation. Yes. Because they can absolutely take up their own time without leaving a cubicle or a screen. And I'm not saying right or wrong, but it's there for them. There are more distractions for my kids that are in high school right now than I ever had as a kid in high school. Uh, there's more wrong out there now for kids in high school than there ever was when I was a kid. So how do you help? How do you build? How do you educate? But I do believe when it's outside of the five senses and you're, <laughs> you're pirating sure. uh, technology. And, yes, people were aware, but we couldn't catch them. I mean, there were certain places we went where we didn't have our team meetings in the clubhouse anymore. We'd go and do it at the hotel. Because in case we thought that they could be bust. Wow. Proof. Absolute truth. Um, and we weren't the only team that was point where, you know, what's, what's the word? Um... When you, you think something's you know, overwhelmingly wrong, it may be, it may not be. Well, I was um, paranoid. I don't know if that's the word you're well, looking for. It became, par- it became paranoia. When we were on the road, or actually even at home, and night before games in the NFL... Uh, we went paperless and nobody was allowed to bring their notebooks or papers or anything to the meeting rooms because Bill Belichick was famous for sending uh, a grunt into the hotel late at night to go through the garbage cans and try to find any notes that are left behind. 
in some ways, I felt to myself like, son of a gun, that's pushing the edge. And in other ways, I thought to myself, son of a gun, should we be doing that? Or let's not bring papers. And I really had a hard time. I never did that. I never sent someone to an opponent's hotel room. But I wrestled with, is that fair? Is that not fair? And like you, I think you cross a line when he starts filming other teams' practices or something like that. But it's something that I really wrestled with, you know. And uh, I think it's like you said, you try to catch someone, and if you don't catch them but you kind of know something about it, it's hard to really stand on the table. Well, it's already flipped the competitive edge in their favor anyway because they've distracted him. You're right. Exactly right. That's a good point. And at the end of the day, though, you know, for me, I still I, I try and simplify things all over the place. If you don't believe in God, you can be rogue down here. Yep. You can be rogue. And you can get all the accolades in the world, whether it's World Series trophies or Super Bowl rings or NBA trophies and rings, whatever it is. And Go about them any means you want. Just you know, you're 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 the man. The salaries pile up. The money. All I know is we're all going to die. And there's never been a U-Haul behind a hearse. But now I'm steadfast in my beliefs. So I've got what I've got. I share it. I don't beat people over the head with it. Life gives you opportunities to share your experience, strength, and hope, whether it's technology issues. I've had more people reach out to me in the game of baseball now from different organizations than ever before because I was tied to one. Yep. And they didn't want to ask or give up or, you know, they knew I wouldn't talk about certain things, but there seems to be more freedom now as an independent contractor between opportunities. People seem to want to know, well, what do you got on this player? What do you got on this coach? What do you got on this situation? What do you got on that? And I can share all my stories or experience with a clear conscience. Yeah. Well, I have no agenda. Well, that brings up a, a good point. When, when I was with Chicago, our head coach was a guy named Dick Geron, who he, too, was a huge baseball fan. Grew up in— Former Lion. Oh, I'm yeah, a that's right. Detroit Lion fan, just to let you oh, know. Oh, no way. Detroit Lion fan. Oh, huge. Dick LeBeau and uh, Dick Duran out there with the you got it. He was a former Lion, also a banger. Oh, yeah. But uh, yes, I love the Ford family. What a great place! Um, so he used to bring up baseball players to visit with us whenever they would come through Chicago. And I remember Carlton Fisk, who I only met him. I'm sure you know quite well, but he told a story of uh, Johnny Bench had something on a pitcher. A tell, as you would say. And he was beating the crap out of that pitcher. And he told someone about the tell that he had. And somehow it came back around to that pitcher. And lo and behold, he couldn't hit the pitcher as hard as he had before. And the moral of the story was, in some regards, if you have something on someone, you have to keep it to yourself. And I wrestle with that in this day and age where players are changing teams so fast uh, that you're saying coaches are now calling you about players that you've coached or how can you tell things. I experienced that a great deal as well. 
And there's something that I'm wrestling about with, well, should I tell them? Should I not tell them? What should I say? What should I keep to myself? And I didn't know if that's kind of something that you're wrestling with now, or did you wrestle with that as a player or coach when you were in the game? Yes, I wrestled with it. At the end of the day, I had to decide if I was on the other end of the question, if I had a good friend, because these are people that I've known for a while. Some of them, the ones that I haven't known for a while that are calling me recently, give them a little more, you know, a little Heisman move where you get your arm out, give them some <laughs> space I create. You could dance a little bit, I, sure. I, I can dance a little bit. <laughs> However, I don't want, I'm not going to lie on a player's behalf to help him keep a job or get a job. The terminology you can use, is he good in the clubhouse? Instead of saying he's bad in the clubhouse, say, well, he spends a lot of time by himself. Sure. And if you get him in there, here may be some things to think about to incorporate him in the clubhouse. Or share, you know what, here's what worked for us when he was in our club, here's what didn't work. Right. And the same way where I've had players come to me about coaches when they've moved on, I'm having trouble with this. Okay. Just through the, again, it's about sharing experience, strength, and hope. I'm not going to lie on anybody's behalf to get anybody a job or to keep a job. Now, the tell. We change our size when players get traded. Yep. If we're going to play them again. And how, if for me, there comes a point where I would have my question, how naive am I to think we're going to have some kind of, any kind of system, which may be crossing the, the boundaries. The players we have here, they're never going to talk about it if they go somewhere else. Right. And especially if that player doesn't get the kind of treatment or the results or something happens where he gets angst, there's some angst involved. I mean, we all, unfortunately, the root of many of the problems we have, challenges we have in sport are fuel from male ego. And to think that's not unbridled at times, and to think you can control that, good luck. You know, I I love the fact we talk about, well, there's a clubhouse code. There is a clubhouse code. What you see here, what you say, stays here. Unless it shouldn't stay here anymore. Society has changed. We're, we're inclusive as a society now. It's not the way back when. And there's there's people, there's more, there needs to be more respect in more areas. And professionalism is never not going to stick out like a sore thumb versus lack of professionalism. Good point. I think that's really important what you're saying, though, too, about tells that you have with players. We felt like if a player was going to another team, we need to change our our, our, our cadence at the line of scrimmage, change how we're signaling in plays and stuff like that. And all that's part of the gamesmanship. I, I completely relate to if it goes outside of the five senses, you really have to look. Is there a place for that? I can remember... Uh, in the year 2000, when I was living in Chicago and the offensive coordinator of the Bears, I went and got LASIK surgery on my eyes. It was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me. And I remember coming home, and the first thing I, th- I think I said to my wife was, if I got this as a teenager, I'd be a, a baseball player right now or a baseball coach. And... I guess my question is, when do surgeries, whether it be LASIK or Tommy John, go outside of that sense of the five senses or what comes naturally to you? Uh, 
I mean, why did you get LASIK surgery, John? Ask ask you a question back. Yeah, because I was having trouble with contacts and didn't like wearing glasses. Okay. So it was about comfort, um, convenience, and conviction. All three, right? Mm-hmm. You wanted to see better, didn't you? Right. It would have been a definite advantage in high school baseball. Remarkable well, advantage. Well, all you want is a level playing field. And if you've lost something that you can recapture through an ordinary surgery, an everyday surgery, I'm good with it. I had cataract surgery. Mm-hmm. I've had both hips replaced. Um, but for players, the LASIK surgery... I mean, the wear and tear, sometimes it's hereditary when things go bad or start to blur or don't work as well. It has nothing to do with how much use they had as a kid or growing up. And sometimes it's just from overuse, maybe with a practice regimen, whatever it was. The LASIK surgery for me, it's just like having rotator cuff surgery, not so much the Tommy, having knee surgery, ACL surgery. Remember when they first started doing those? Sure, sure. You had a inch car, you were out for three months. Now in the NFL, you get one, you can play two weeks. It's amazing. there's no scar. What Adrian Peterson did so, was amazing. There's as many good sides of technology as there are bad sides. It depends on what, you, what you're hunting for and what you're using it for. Sure. But I guess you get my point that now these senses are altering, and it's something that I'm really, I just have wrestled with. Why? Well, we're against enhancement, but we're okay with this enhancement. We're against this kind of enhancement, but okay with this kind. And I'm not trying to pin you down. It's something I'm really, really wrestling with. No, I I understand completely. And like I said, your perception is yours. I'm not going to try to change. I have no problem with LASIK eyes. Sure. I'm not going to cause any sleep. I'm not going to lose any sleep over LASIK eyes. Yeah. Over a guy getting HGH injections because it's supposedly going to speed up his recovery versus any other thing. I struggle with that. That's just my perception. Sure. I think everybody's entitled to their own perception, but you better make sure <laughs> that you got a pretty good check analysis. So, yeah. Because yeah. left to my own team, still at 62 years old, I'm still, I'm still, I'm capable of not knowing what's best for me. And it goes back to what I believe in. And if you don't have faith, I think you can blow around on a river like you got no sail. Um, I think we open in a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. But I really believe also that at times at night, if I'm not sure, I pray about it. Amen. Or I have a group of people in my life, I call them out Rushmore group, that I call and ask. Four people. Yes. Kind of like having a, you know, a board of directors. And I get their opinion. Sure. And I got the best one living with my wife. She's got such a clean lens and so so different than mine. Don't ask her. I feel, Clint, like I could talk to you for uh, hours on end. I really value your opinion and have really valued uh, the work that you have done in Major League Baseball. I mean, like I said, I'm a big Pirates fan, so I became more in-depth with kind of uh, your background and your story when you were uh, the manager of the Bucks, and just know I rode rode along with you all those seasons, just rooting for you and thank you from the bottom of my heart. All you've done for for a game that I love, you know, in baseball. Well, you are welcome. 
and it was an honor to serve the people of Pittsburgh, the fan base of, of Pittsburgh, um, the organization. Uh, I'll be indebted to, to everybody there. Uh, to Bob Nutting and Frank Tuohy, Neil Hollington. Um, we didn't get everything we wanted to get done. Taking a little serious, we got back in the playoffs. We broke a string of 20 consecutive losing seasons. Yes. But I was humbled with the opportunity. I gave it everything I had. And I wish him nothing but success moving forward. So thanks for your time and your feedback on this show that maybe opens up some new questions or some, di- some different thoughts. We can revisit. We can get back together, John. I look forward to staying connected with you. Thank you very much. I look forward to that as well. And Very good. Thanks, sir. Hey, blessings to you. Thanks, friend. Thanks, John. God bless you. Bye-bye. been listening to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century, from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep.